setting, and there is a big um, presumption that mm-hmm. um, you know not even not only that, but there's a kind of a disciplining that happens around being a so-called objective, you know, somehow being objective. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. and you know, you see that in, you know, we're here at the University of Arizona, there are specific mm-hmm. ways that we can be disciplined for speaking out and using our positionality as researchers mm-hmm. and professors. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a tension because, mm-hmm. you know, we're not supposed to be um, engaging in an obviously political way as, mm-hmm. you know, representing ourselves as University of Arizona professors. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. how do you draw from your... Mm-hmm. Um, research yeah. uh, as a pr- professor can you maybe you can talk a little bit about how that yeah. objectivity yeah. presumption has yeah. played out in your life and career it'd be interesting yeah. to hear that and I think actually what I was thinking about is that you, you and I yeah. had talked a little bit about the word at church yeah incident I went straight there because yeah. uh, that was the that's the you know I mean I think these things go on in different moments in our lives right but that one is the most recent given what's just happened in this on this campus right in the letter that that mm-hmm. that you wrote for us for the as a program and that that some of us signed mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. for the for the Arizona 3 and and so much of that was starting to come back to me too about about um <clears throat> yeah our position who who are we really politically and and you know, I think War Churchill as a scholar, he's a public scholar. He, you know, he's really more of a public intellectual, right? Mm-hmm. Who's written, what, 20 books or something mm-hmm. and 500 articles. And I don't know. It's like an, a massive amount. Mm-hmm. But because he was always so controversial on campus, I think that it was easy for the, the higher ups to go after him. And they went after him because of the blog that he wrote when he was going to go to Hamilton College to give a talk. They found it. And it was, it, it's all done systematically and politically. People think these are just sort of these things that just happen by mm-hmm. chance or by coincidence. But I think that that it it is calculated and that... Sorry to interrupt you, but could you set it up a little bit for listeners yeah. just so they know? Because okay. there might be people that might not know. know the word Churchill yeah, um, yeah. kind of... If that's worth it. I the phen- yeah, I, I think it is worth it. But yeah. back in, it must have been 2005, I had barely been at CU Boulder for two years. Ward was chair. And we had agreed that when he stepped down, I would be chair um, when, I, when the, I got hired uh, at University of Colorado Boulder in the, Ethnic Studies. Ethnic Studies Department. Yes, right, in the Ethnic right. Studies mm-hmm. Department, yeah. And so he, um, he was going off, you know, he was doing his regular gigs. And he did a lot of lectures around the nation, around the world, really. And so he went off to Hamilton College to do a talk. He was going to go, but someone found a blog that he had written back when 911 happened. And in that blog, he said the chickens have come home to roost, meaning that, you know, the people who were the the power brokers in this country were getting getting their due, which is that, you know, and he certainly didn't mean the vulnerable people who, you know, the who who were also killed mm-hmm. but he meant the people who were the the you know the power brokers in this country and of course Wall Street right so um people went after him and said oh look you know he's not being patriotic and if you'll recall this was a moment when patriotism just exploded right. once again and yeah. then the patriot act and bush you know this was bush's way of staying in power right mm-hmm. Um, right after but, a very questionable, uh, very ele- questionable electoral victory, right? Exactly. Decided and by the Supreme Court. Precisely. And, and he was in, in 
he was not very well respected, right? He was not going to be reelected by any means. But um, so I think what happened in, in at University of Colorado at Boulder is that that Boulder is considered to be like the bastion of, of radicalness and then the rest of Colorado, right, is is a little bit more conservative and rural. And so there, some of the some of people went after, started going after him, and I think it was specifically some of the far right um, um, news. What are they had a radio show, and they definitely went after him and made it more public, and so it became it sort of took a life of its own, mm-hmm. right? And so people began to send all kinds of, of death threats to Department of Ethnic Studies and to. Wow. And to him as well, and saying that he should step down because this is a public university, and he wasn't a patriot, and and so he came, and the administration was also bearing down hard on him. So he, came, I remember, he called me one evening and he said, "Would you're going to have to take over his chair? I need to step down." And I and I was like, "Ward, they can't fire you." And he said, "Oh yes, they can," because mm-hmm. he's he was a full professor, mm-hmm. the only um, indigenous Native American full professor in the entire university. Wow. And um, that didn't seem to matter. Boulder's an interesting kind of little place in the way they sustain a kind of racial hierarchy there. It's pretty Um, astonishing, though, for a university in the West. (laughs) I know, I know. But no, I was one of two Chicana Chicana scholars in the entire university when I left to come here. Mm -hmm. And so when people would question why I was going to University of Arizona, I was like, do you know how many Chicano and Chicana scholars there are there? Mm-hmm. And just really nice people too, <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to people who don't. There was no respect for ethnic studies. It's in, at at in in uh, at CU Boulder. There really wasn't, and I don't mind saying that publicly. I think there are enough ethnic studies scholars who went through there, who went through that program as professors, and ended up in places like Harvard, and were like, no, no, thank you, to CU Boulder. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so Ward was basically under fire and the administration, they were determined. And this was a moment, I think what happened at the beginning is most of the university, a lot of the faculty and students were definitely backing him because this is about First Amendment rights and his freedom of speech. And um, so there was enough support. But then it slowly began to die off as people began to watch the case a little more and the case was not going away and administration and the regents and and the nation too was basically I mean it became national news. Yeah. I remember even seeing Ward on on one of the HBO shows, what's the name of that guy? One evening and we were in shock. It's like can't believe he's even he's even on television right now. But yeah, and I would get phone calls from MSNBC wanting to interview me and I refused to speak to most people because of the way that the the so much of this was being twisted yeah the setup of yeah it. the setup of it was just mm-hmm. he's anti-patriotic and mm-hmm. and, and he was forced to step down and you took over as uh, <clears throat> and chair, I took right? over his chair momentarily and it was it was not fun at all at all at all I did it for five months and then I said I can't do this anymore because of um it just was was <laughs> viscerally like un- unpleasant and having to deal with the admin in the way that they wanted mm-hmm. to continue to uh, rein him in mm-hmm. and Ward was not going to be reined in mm-hmm. by, I mean he was a he's a Vietnam vet and mm-hmm. I have tremendous respect for him mm-hmm. to an artist 
you know, um, and I mean a visual artist as well, a writer, um, a community activist, I mean, with indigenous different groups in, in not just around the nation, but also in Colorado. I mean, he had, he just was a person that a lot of the people went to, right? He was a really good community guy. Mm-hmm. There were issues too about some of his sexism, and I can understand that, but I also know that that he was very, um, he was, I mean, he did things politically and made interventions in ways that no one else had the courage to do, and certainly at a place like C.U. Boulder. Mm-hmm. But um, that's a lot yeah. to stand up to the theory yeah. of that. You know, I, I, I remember here uh, mm-hmm. watching him on a cons- super. Cons- it was like a Fox interview. I can't remember who the host was, but mm-hmm. you know, that's the typical setup where they control the whole thing, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. And we're so going to go after you and make you look like the yeah. make you look like you're not a patriot. They set you up. Yeah, but he did it. You know, what <clears> I mean, I'm like, wow, yeah. okay, that's take some courage to do that yeah. because I you didn't have, have no the, idea what you're walking yeah. into. And I didn't have the courage to do it. I didn't want to do it. Um, because I just felt like they were already, yeah, yeah, it was such a setup. And even, even then we had a, we had a, uh, one evening we did have a, um, press conference Mm -hmm. and we gave them all the points and then they just treated it as if it was nothing. And Mm -hmm. they still held on. And this was in Denver Mm -hmm. and they, Denver Boulder, and they still held on to the fact that he was, because it made good copy. Right. And, and people were in the journalists were like up and down the hall hallways in ethnic studies. It was just, and they would, they kept trying to talk to us, and I was like, I'm sorry, no, unless you're going to be, try to be unbiased, and I know you're not. Um, And Colorado is not the most progressive place. I mean, I know they do fancy themselves with being that, but it really Mm -hmm. is not. Um, And how did they fire him ultimately? Ultimately, they got him with a footnote, if Uh you can believe this. Um, I think because they couldn't go after him for First Amendment rights, Mm -hmm. then they decided, well, then we're just going to go after him for his research. Mm -hmm. And they really were looking around the nation to see who would who who was angry at him enough. And they found a scholar who was an assistant professor at some place in Texas, a small college, small space in Texas. Who was a white guy who was doing work on in on um, indigenous groups. And he said that Ward had gotten something wrong because he said that the government had given smallpox blankets for the the, the Trail of Tears, right? Mm-hmm. Had given smallpox blankets to the Indians. And he said it wasn't the government, it was a private militia. Mm-hmm. That was the footnote they got him oh on. Oh my gosh. So I remember we invited, there were, the group of us who supported him got smaller and smaller. There might have been five or six of us, right? who were professor, two of us professors, myself and Elisa Facio, who has since passed away, unfortunately. And she's the one who would always do work in Cuba and even met Castro, right? I had tremendous respect for Elisa. We'd known each other since we were grad students and she was close to Ward as well. And then um, another uh, man who was um, a actually community organizer, but he was in the English department. Um, uh, God, I'm forgetting Daniel's last name. Kim, Daniel Kim. And he was, he left academe to be, do community organizing. And he was, wow. he helped us a lot because he had, he had been trained. He had both worlds. He had both on, worlds, yeah. yeah. So he was the one who, who was able to tap into people. He brought a really brilliant indigenous scholar from Cornell to the trial because we had to have a, then we had to have a, the university had their own kind of kangaroo trial. Wow. And that didn't really work. 
so then they took it to the then they became a civil trial and so we all had to go and there I know I was a witness as well and the university lawyer was there to so some individuals bringing suit against him mm -hmm. I didn't realize that, that yeah that's yeah crazy. yeah so it was it was yeah it was pretty crazy so the Cornell professor I remember he was on the stand and he said this is craziness because these are you're going after him for intellectual debates this is what we do right in the academy this is an intellectual debate and that and so he won the case and I remember I was interviewed as well but I forget I was on the jury as well uh, not the jury I was on the stand as well I forget what they the questions but but it was so obvious to me that the judge was um, in the pocket of the Regents mm -hmm. of California African-American man I forget who what his name was the Regents of Colorado the Regents of Col Colorado mm -hmm. excuse me mm -hmm. yeah I mean it was obvious what was happening mm -hmm. and even though um, the it was a small jury because it was a civil case and they favored they he did win the case it was in his favor but but the damages were only a dollar so mm -hmm. then Colorado Regents and the University of Colorado treated it as if they as if they had won, mm -hmm. and um, but yeah, they managed to fire him Gosh. based on that. And then he he left, sold his house, and um, his partner, who was wonderful and does work on indigenous scholarship as well, um, was a, is a lawyer and a, a legal scholar who was teaching for Georgia still, and hadn't left that position, so went back. And I believe that's where he's living now. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But now his daughter teaches here uh -huh. at university, at here at, in the law school. Uh -huh. And I met, God, I went to her wedding. I went, to, I was at her wedding and I was, I remember also that, um, yeah. She, Akila, right? Yes, Akila. Mm -hmm. Akila. And now she's here. Mm -hmm. And I think you know her husband. I do. Yeah, yeah. I'm on his committee. Yeah, he was in. <laughs> he was in. Yeah. Jed. He was in our Department of Ethnic Studies. Yeah. yeah, he really is. I love. Yes, I remember because he got into trouble in Mexico. Uh huh. And he, he was got disinvited. He got disinvited, <laughs> out, yeah, and I think right. he was almost in a detention center or something with uh -huh. someone, and I had to call. I remember. I remember. Uh, oh, Ward and and. Um, Natsu calling me and saying, Could, would you mind calling Mexico? Because our Spanish isn't as good. And mine isn't that great, but I still managed to find out where he was and what they were doing with him so they could get him out. Yeah. He had gone down to hang out with the Zapatistas for a little while. That's it. That's what it was, yeah. 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 Right. yeah. It's like these lessons we get, right? So, yeah, they're a great family. I love them. I need to catch up with them. Uh, but, but, yeah, that was quite the, quite the event. And I couldn't believe that they did... I mean, I began to see the writing on the wall. Ward was right. He knew. He knew what was happening. But I think something I learned as well along, I mean, I got incredibly disillusioned with the Academy more and more, but certainly with the University of Colorado and the manner in which they were upholding, you know, the, the wealthy mm -hmm. and the regents who were so politically uh, to the far to the far right. In fact, as a result of, of that case, the regents and donors uh, managed to to get a position that was what did they call it a politically 
because they said there are too many liberals on campus, mm-hmm. too many far right, too far to the left and leftist on campus, and so they wanted someone who was politically in the right. Mm-hmm. So they did get a, um, a position, a chaired position, wow. for someone, a scholar who was going to be, you know, <laughs> who was in their minds more objective mm-hmm. about these things. So, yeah, lots of money went to someone like him. Well, it's so... Um you know, the, the work of an academic is, it doesn't matter where you are, mm-hmm. even a geoscientist, I mean, that would yeah. be seemingly um, mm-hmm. apolitical. It is also fundamentally political. It is. It's always know. political. And we make, and either we are or we aren't, right? Because some people choose right. not to be. Right. And that's fine if they choose not to be, but really it's not. But because, nonetheless, you are. Yeah. You know, that's it. You're yeah. making that decision to not be, pol- to be political in that way. Yeah. And to step back and say, no, I'm not going to get involved in this. And we just saw it happening on campus. Mm-hmm. And you're writing that letter meant that you were, I mean, nobody asked you. I didn't ask you. So I was really grateful to you. that. And so were the students who I spoke to because you just did it out of your own accord. And that's what you do. You step up, right? right. We just step up and we do that to, to show our support because we are political animals on, in these spaces. And people want to pretend that we're not. Mm-hmm. But we are, and we well, how can you study um, history? How can you study anthropology? You know, there's. I know. There has to be um, mm-hmm. some kind of recognition there that what we do is um, to speak out about what's happening in the world, either in the past or the present, or in the ways that the past and the present are, are connected. Exactly. You know, and it's like, what's the expectation? Well, I mean, you know, the expectation by coming from many circles is that we'll just uh, keep quiet and yeah. teach some basics. Exactly. You know, the stuff that's exactly seemingly apolitical, you know. Exactly. And it's, it's like, well, it doesn't really work that way. And in Texas, yeah. you know, the battle has been consistently, how do you do that? And what's the curriculum for K through 12 in Texas? And for a long time, we managed to win some battles. And I know Angela Valenzuela, Emilio Zamora, two of my two friends, Angela is very involved in in education and Emilio's an historian who also studied with Juan Gomez. That's how I know them. But in UT Austin, they're very, they're very uh, pivotal. Bit working on the K through twelve so that so that there is enough on Chicano history and Mexican American history, right? Mm-hmm. Well, all of that certainly began to erode with George Bush, uh-huh. uh, Jr., and the the comeback of the the. The Patriots and the Alamo, right, and looking at them as the Patriots. So it's been the ongoing battle, whose story yeah. gets told, and yeah. we're right back there again. So yeah. you make these, you make these, you know, interventions, and still here we are, right back right. to eliminating Cesar Chavez and eliminating, you know, anybody who's pol- in their minds political, and instead bringing in, you know, the Alamo Patriots, supposedly. Well, I mean, it, yeah, that's it's so important that. Uh, <clears throat> You know, to to understand historical memory as I mean, it's a it's a place of incredible cooperation. Yeah, and exactly. it's also a battlefield. Yes, literally, it is a battlefield. <laughs> it is. I mean, ideological battles are getting are are being waged consistently, and this is why I like Foucault because he that's what he's basically saying. It's like who gets to speak, that's who right. gets to have the archive, who gets to have you know. This is why a traditional archive has been so challenged by so many scholars. Mm-hmm. It's like we have a different archive. And that's why 
you know, space, the way we were talking about it a minute ago. It's like it's important to go to that space and what are the vibrations or how do we even view photographs from the, that moment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So many different ways of looking at, at an archive films and what films are representing for the 1930s versus 1980s, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just tracking that. And that's one of the things I try to teach my students is you've got to be critical thinkers, you have to, because that's what's been taken away in K through twelve, right? Yeah, right. I see yeah. that in the in the classroom here. Yeah, too, don't actually. you see like it? In, yeah. I mean, not that, you know, not that I, I mean. So I'm fifty years old. I don't feel like I was necessarily instilled with that critical yeah. thinking facility yeah. either. Yeah. Um, but I could see that it. I could see there was some semblance of that. That's mm-hmm. not. It doesn't seem like it, it's it's quite as present now. It's not because of the testing. And again, this was George yeah, Bush right. and his friends, and it was all mm-hmm. happening kind of at the same time when Lynn Cheney became became president of of one of those they started and you know in the 1990s right post 80s when they realized oh there's too many too many radicals at these institutions we're going to get rid of tenure and they started what was it the national association of scholars something like that nas lynn cheney was one of you know cheney's wife Mm -hmm. cheney's wife they started they started this organization and you can track it you can historically mm-hmm. track it and see how this is fundamentally what they were going to do. They were a small group, and they got together, and they they got all the Republican governors together, and they said, "Okay, we are going to we are going to do our best to get rid of tenure because look at who's been tenured since the '70s and '80s. Too many women, too many radical leftists, too many queers, too many people of color." And so we're going to make it harder and harder. Because you know, I, I don't know if you remember my mentors talking to me about how easy it was to get tenure back in the 70s. It wasn't even, they'd have a department meeting that day and they'd say, oh, why don't we give so-and-so tenure? Mm-hmm. And it's... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Now it's quite a now series it's, of hoops you have to It's jump through, so yeah. many hoops and it's been deliberate. And you can mm-hmm. track that and see. But yeah, back... Th- and I know one of the things Daniel did too, Daniel Kim, is we were tracking... The National Association of Scholars and Lynn Cheney, and then it became it becomes another group of governors and Republican governors. And at the time when this was happening with Ward, there was a Republican governor, and he was a part of that group. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a president who was a woman at CU Boulder, and she challenged when they wanted the legislator legislature wanted to get rid of in Colorado wanted to get rid of Ward. She called them out and said, "This is nothing but a witch hunt." Like from the 1950s, the next day she was fired. Mm-hmm. She's gone. Wow. She wasn't fired. She was forced to step down. Yeah, right. She was forced to step down because she called them out. And then they put in there a political scientist during the time who was a conservative. I don't know where he was from. He was the president for a while. And, and he was in place basically to make sure that Ward was gone. Mm-hmm. And then once that happened, they brought in a man who has a BA, had a BA, and that's it. But he had given a tremendous amount of money for the College of Engineering, I believe. And he was our president for a long time, and people argued he doesn't even know what the tenure process is. Mm -hmm. He's never written a book, Mm -hmm. but he'd given. And now they're having another... I I was just there recently, and there's a new president that they're going to be hiring, and he's, I believe, from Nebraska, and he's anti-LGBT and anti-feminism. Oh, and that's anti- interesting, huh? Yeah. Wow. So the faculty are up in arms again. So they're kind of headhunting those kinds of people for, mm-hmm. that, for that post. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's CU Boulder. But, but yeah, it was a very interesting time, but I think that 
that these conservative groups have been, I mean, one of the other things that happened was when David Horowitz came to town too, and he, um, he was um, also going after Ward. I don't know if you've heard of him. He did a book mm-hmm. called 101 Most Dangerous Professors. Mm-hmm. And I ended up in the book because of um, my support of, of Ward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Noam Chomsky, who's here now, was in the book. Mm-hmm. So was Angela Davis. Evidently, I was in the book. I looked it up, and I was in it because of my, my allegiance to Chicano history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that in itself is considered radical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, thought I knew was you were dangerous. Them, so I yeah. know. I know. My students got a big kick out That's of it. Pretty, yeah, right. And I yeah. and you know I would laugh and say the most dangerous thing about me is I probably I took my daughter to Disneyland. You know, <laughs> Disneyland's pretty dangerous because of the way what it's teaching. Yeah, right, right. right yeah, <laughs> we just have different conceptions of danger. We're at work exactly. Here. <laughs> so I I wanted to ask you. You know, your um. <clears throat> So here you are mm-hmm. at the University of Arizona in mm-hmm. the Southwest Center. You've got a split position between the Southwest Center and Gender and Women's Studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're back at a border university, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not it's different from um, mm-hmm. UT El Paso. Yeah. Um, in some ways, but uh, mm-hmm. but we're still. I think we're we could be considered a border university. I and think a lot of so. those issues are, you know, I agree. definitely present here. Um, so can you, you know you're looking around the university landscape mm-hmm. and the broader uh, you know mm-hmm. position position of the university here. Mm-hmm. What do you see and what do you see in terms of mm-hmm. what's what's important about borderland mm-hmm. studies and oh god how do you I situate yourself in that? The, the thing that I love about University of Arizona and I know you know certainly I'm new here so of course I'm still in that in that you know pink bubble of just being so happy to be here but I'm happy to be back close to closer to the border and it's it's not just the landscape being brown I mean it's like there's brownness everywhere and and I love that and and the respect of that as well that I I think there's certainly far more respect of it or at least acknowledgement of it in a way that I didn't see in a place like Boulder right mm-hmm. there's so much erasure I mean the snow just covers everything up. The whiteness covers mm-hmm. so much up, and you don't. We don't have that here. You can't cover it up. You cannot cover up the brownness. It's in the landscape. It's in the people. It's it's in the history, and that's. I really feel like Tucson and and Arizona are in the front lines of of so many battles, and we saw that recently with the the Arizona three, and I had the privilege of having one of those students in in my Chicano in my Chicana history class last last year and there's some really fierce incredible students here who are themselves from the frontera and mm-hmm. whose parents come from Hermosillo or you know close mm-hmm. by I mean because the border is so such a false space right mm-hmm. certainly it is for them as well and I just I love those possibilities and the different debates people are having here and the way in which people put their bodies on the line in ways that that I didn't see happening quite I mean, again, when I say the Ward case became just a handful of us, and that didn't happen with a lot, with the Arizona Three. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were all hundreds of people still out there, and there were more people supporting it and continuing to support it so that the charges were dropped, right? right? Yeah, there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure. That pressure just was not sustained in, in, in Ward's case at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. 
and they knew they could do that. And here, I think that, you know, even the K through 12 battles that have happened here with Mexican American studies and people saying things like, oh, but that's Arizona. I'm like, yeah, but it's because people are on the front lines. And because they do have Mexican American studies in K through 12. Do you think they have it in other parts of the nation? No, Mm -hmm. they don't. Mm -hmm. So think about these things, but. I really appreciate that you're saying that because I think it is, uh, I talk to people, myself included, who feel pretty jaded about Arizona politics often, but I think that's such a good point that one of the reasons that we come up against all of this kinds of, these kinds of issues Mm -hmm. so frequently is partly because people are not standing for it. They're not standing for it. They're on the front lines. And I saw that even when I was in Colorado and I would read about things and people were like, oh, boycott Arizona. And there were some Chicanos from Texas saying that. And I'm saying, really? Really? Boycott mm-hmm. Arizona? Um, and you're in Texas? I mean, I'm from Texas. I can say this. But I think it's because of the, it was SB, which one was 1070. it? 1070. 1070. And so people were being really adamant about, you know, hurting the businesses. And I and I understood that. But I think what people also weren't looking at, and, and we have to look so closely, at the again, it's the front lines and what people are battling here. And I really admire that about, and, and it has a history of that. Mm-hmm. And I have, I used to get students at CU Boulder too who are from here. And they themselves would just get so discouraged and tired, but they're from here, right? And and sure, any place will wear you out, I think. And this is why we need new generations, right? And new blood. Mm-hmm. Just observing um, the way people have talked about that incident of the Arizona Three. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have... Um, the three students who show up um, at mm-hmm. a, at a, in a classroom, right, in which the Border Patrol, mm-hmm. a couple of Border Patrol agents are there present. They're fully mm-hmm. uniformed, right, as I understand mm-hmm. it. They've got their guns They've on. They've got their guns armed, on, yeah. Which is against UVA policy. Yeah. Um, and uh, and they're pointing this out. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah. they're letting people know that this yeah. is not... This is yeah. not how... This yeah. is not cool. This is not cool. Um, no. and, and I think that that's the, the part of that, the kind of the structure of that history, mm-hmm. the actual structure of racism, mm-hmm. institutionalization of racism, mm-hmm. the historical experience of it here in Southern Arizona, mm-hmm. um, is, it's been really hard to bring that into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not not surprisingly, because mm-hmm. that's the part of the struggle. Yeah. This is where historical memory is being yeah. struggled over and place. Um, and so I have students, you know, I've had students in class, you know, mostly wanting to engage in that discussion, but I, I brought it up and I, you know, some students were saying, well, you know, I'm looking at the video here, and I can see those students were very strident. Which you know, video were they looking at? Um, so, I prop, you know, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was a, a somebody was taking some. Oh, okay. Re- apparently, taking some video when it was happening, and it got wow. posted or something. I haven't seen that. Yeah, okay. so I could be, I could have some of this wrong. Okay. Um, but 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 even from other people who mm-hmm. are in positions of, um, you know, yeah. of authority here, saying, well, the students were really strident, and so that's a mitigating factor. You got to, you know. Um, understand why officials reacted that way, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, I get that. I yeah. can understand, you know, that probably yeah. the people in that classroom were like, whoa, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. But, um, but, but for the university to, to just kind of like cue to the side of, of, um, you know, the police and, I know. you know, that, I, know. I think that took us, a lot of us by surprise. Yeah. It's like, okay, wait a minute, you know, Seriously. you need to know, know something about where you are. Exactly. So anyway, that was a long question, but maybe could you speak to that a little bit? Well, that's so good that you, I mean, because that's exactly what people saw happening. It's that it's the 
it's the political moment, right? It's number 45 and so much that has been permitted under his, him and his cohorts, right? Because it's not just him. I mean, he's a puppet sure. for the rest of them, for the greedy people who are, who are running the, who are running things. But, but it's like, you see this, you see this throughout the nation. You, we see it globally and that that people aren't putting up with that kind of strident stand. I mean, in the 70s and 80s, in the 60s and 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. right? Civil rights movements, this is what people were doing. Right. And this is the manner in which people know that's how you got things done. The labor movement of the 30s, right? When people were standing up and being strident then as well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen because people hand things to you. And if people aren't, this is, again, this is when I become an historian, if people don't look at this kind of strike activity, activism in the in in the uh, late 19th, early 20th century, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, then they don't see that, yeah, there are parallels and this is what has to be done if we want change. Right. <clears throat> and I, <clears throat> excuse me, I spoke to Denise, I have enough, who was one of the students who was um, one of the Arizona Three, and she's the one who initially saw them. And she's the one who recognized that with their guns, they didn't, they really weren't supposed to be on campus. And she said, had she stopped to really think about it, she wouldn't have done it, but she started calling them out. Mm-hmm. And she said, I know, and the, get this is someone who's first generation at this, in, in college, right? I met her mother as well and her stepdad. And, um, and she said, I'm in a position of privilege because I get to be in this institution. And so because I'm in a position of privilege, I felt like it was up to me to say something. Mm-hmm. And I really admire her for her courage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because she knew she was probably going to get in trouble. She was the only one. There was a classroom there. She didn't know how they would be responding mm-hmm. to her. Mm-hmm. And then I think the two other students who were also Chicanas women joined her, Mexican-American young women. Mm-hmm. And so um, if we're not strident, how are we going to get things done? Right. Yeah, it and takes a jolt sometimes. It really the, does take a jolt. <clears throat> system, yeah. And I think still, they didn't have guns. The, the, that's right. You know, yeah, that's right. That's a really important point. They are not yeah. the ones with the guns. They mm-hmm. had words. Mm-hmm. They had words, and it's not as if they were getting violent. They and were they're putting speaking. their bodies on the line. And have been a yeah, putting their bodies around. on the line. They were not the ones with guns. Mm-hmm. And they were not the ones in uniform. But they have a history of knowing what the Border Patrol does to them and to their families when they cross back and forth mm-hmm. because of this false border. Right. And so um, people know, I mean, any of us who cross the border and go back and forth and have to declare that moment, perform, right, and say citizenship. Mm-hmm. And we're asked citizenship and that kind of nerve-wracking thing you go through. Am I going to sound like I'm, like I'm from the U.S., right? How do mm-hmm. I say this? Am I privileged enough? Do I pass enough, right? So all of those things that get, that historically have been going on, it's been going on certainly since in this since 1917 and the immigration laws right Mm -hmm. yeah right yeah we are essentially living in a in a kind of military zone or militarized zone for sure even all the way you know an hour's drive away Mm -hmm. from the the border we're still in the in the sphere of that and and yeah customs and border patrol Mm -hmm. have all kinds of presence in tucson and you know we see it in this in the um, Mm -hmm. in south tucson where they're actually making arrests yes people are showing up to Call that yeah. out, and it's yeah. it's intense. I know. It's intense. It is. It is. It's and yet, plenty of people don't have a sense of that intensity either. You no. know, they, and that's where a you know a moment like this, 
Yeah. Among many things, that's what it can serve to. I know. You know, it calls it out. To. Yeah. It calls mm-hmm. attention to it, and and it forces people to make a decision about where they stand with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, thank you, yeah. Emma. So great to have you on our first episode of uh, Journal of Southwest Radio.